Well, thanks for uh, joining us again. This is the second part of the discussion related to periodization, picking up with the discussion that we left off talking about setting up goals and organizing our exercise and diet based off of those organized goals. If you have not listened to the first part of the presentation, please make sure you go and listen to the first part so that you're not lost with where we're at in the conversation. As we introduced a few topics to the conversation in the first part of this discussion that would be a benefit for you in terms of understanding everything that we're going to be covering here in the second part of the discussion. So we are attempting to make body composition changes. We're attempting to become stronger. We're attempting to somehow reach goals that we've set for ourselves through the use of diet and exercise, but we can't seem to make those goals stick. We can't seem to reach where we want to. And so we have to take a step back and try to think about, well, why might this be happening? And so here we go with the second part of the discussion. Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard, or believed to be true, about how the human body works, and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy. And those goal orientation is going to allow us to have each period focus on one aspect of fitness. What we did not do in the goal orientation, what you need to make sure you're not doing when you're setting up your goals is using the scale as your goal. The scale can act as a re reinforcer. The problem is it can act as a negative reinforcer because of a, a pound of muscle or a pound of bone weighs the same as a pound of fat. And so what we did is instead of looking at what does the scale say, we look functional, are you? What is your overall level of fitness? And so when we look at this, we have to look at, okay, what can or can I not do? And one of the things we want to do is we want to set up goals to change our functional abilities. What is my flexibility? What is my range of motion? How well can I move when I'm moving? What is my muscle strength? What is my muscle power? What is my muscle endurance? How much can I move? How quickly can I move? How long can I move? What is my neurological fitness? What is my motor coordination? How well can I do the movements that I need to do? What is my aerobic fitness? What is my metabolic competence, my metabolic capacity? How long can I do things before I start to fatigue? This goes a little bit more than just the local muscle endurance. This becomes more of a whole body endurance. And then what is my desired outcome goals? What do I want to come about from the training? What do I want to come about from doing the changes in my diet? Whenever we look at doing any type of physiological change or trying to cause any physiological change, the key aspect here is what am I able to do now? What is my goal to be able to do at the end? And then figure out, is it going to be a microcycle, a mesocycle, or a macrocycle time length to reach that goal? And so how can we go about periodizing our exercise? There's a couple of general ways of looking at periodization. They come from the athletics world in which we have a linear periodization model and linear periodization model is predominantly looking at resistance exercise in which when I have low intensity, I will have high volume of training. When I have high intensity, I will have low volume of training. And what this change in training does is it changes what musculoskeletal adaptations will occur. 
if I want to get large amounts of growth, hypertrophy, I tend to have a moderate to low level of intensity relative to my power, but my training volume tends to be very high relative to my power. The other way of looking at this periodization model is based on what's referred to as an undulating model of periodization, where we don't have this static linear relationship between volume and training intensity. We have a kind of wobbling ability to change our volume and our intensity. The linear blocking, the linear periodization, we tend to have very little day-to-day -day modifications of volume or intensity. We tend to prescribe volume and intensity within the linear model, whereas in the undulating model, we will have variability of training and intensity, the volume and how quote-unquote hard that training volume happens to be, based on a whole bunch of physiological aspects that come into play. If I was not well-rested, I shouldn't expect my body to be able to do high-intensity exercise. If I am in the midst of my intermittent fast, I may not have the fuel sources to produce enough energy to do high-intensity exercise. If I had a high-intensity day the day before, I should not expect that I'll be able to do a high-intensity exercise on the next day. And so when we start looking at this undulating way of periodizing the exercise, it takes into account all of the other aspects of physiology that can impact how well I can perform. Regardless of we're looking at the linear periodization model or the undulating periodization model, what we're trying to do is we're trying to vary our training volume and our training intensities so that we do not reach a point of constant overload and constant fatigue within the muscles or within the body. We want to be able to change up what we're doing within the exercise regimen so that we're able to encourage the body to adapt in such a way that will not put the body into a state of distress and that distress leads to exhaustion and we end up having overtraining setting in. With both the linear as well as the undulating periodization, we're able to take into account rest intervals and rest periods within the training regimen. And we can do this by selecting the appropriate exercises to meet the training goals that we have, progress our exercise selection in such a way as to maximize both our hormonal adaptations as well as our musculoskeletal adaptations as well as our neurological adaptations to the exercise that we happen to be taking part of progressing from multi-joint multi-planar exercises to single joint single planar exercises incorporating a variety of different types of apparatus into the exercise selection, particularly for resistance exercise, selection of things such as free weights versus cables versus machines versus bands within the free weights, having limbs be able to move independent of other limbs using dumbbells versus barbells, doing single limb lower body exercises versus double limb lower body exercises. All of the selection within the exercise as relates to what type of load am I placing on the body is going to lead to differences in adaptations that take place. Based off of the exercise that I'm selecting and the types of apparatuses that I'm using in the exercise, I'm able to change the demand being placed in the body. What I don't want to do is I don't want to have such high amounts of variability that we cannot have adaptations taking place. But I want to make sure that there's variability within the exercise selection 
so that once adaptations have occurred, I'm able to change what I'm doing so as to encourage other adaptations. And we have to remember that there's a sequential event that takes place within the training responses based off of a whole bunch of aspects, which includes things as it relates to the amount of training volume that I have and the amount of rest that I have within the training and between training, where depending upon what type of volume that is set rep combinations combined with the amount of load that I have and the amount of rest that I'm going to encourage within the exercise sessions and between exercise sessions that are going to be able to have specific types of adaptations coming about within the muscles, within the bones, and within the rest of the body. Those adaptations come about through a sequential organization governed by the said principle that's going to start with changes in neurological recruitment, changes in how the brain is going to initiate the movements taking place so as to allow for maximal adaptations to occur, followed by changes in the biochemistry, changes in the metabolism of the tissues that are coming into action, changes in how the skeletal muscle is going about doing its metabolism, change the way in which the heart is going about doing its metabolism, change the way in which the body is going to do its metabolism, so as to be able to meet the demands that are being placed on it by the exercise sessions. Once I have maximized those two adaptations, the next adaptation I'm going to see is going to come from growth adaptations within the tissues. So even though we look at this in terms of, oh, I'm going to get growth hypertrophy in a range of, say, 50 to 70% of my maximum amount, working in somewhere between 24 and 36 to 40 repetitions total, broken up with rests of 60 to 180 seconds, even though we specify that as being the growth phase, the growth training volume, training intensity, training rest that we need in order to get that adaptation to take place, we're still going to have all of the other changes that occur, the neurological changes, the biochemical changes. And then finally, we'll start getting growth changes. And the growth changes are all about the amount of damage that takes place to the muscle, the amount of damage that takes place to the tendon, the amount of damage that takes place to the bone, the stress that gets placed on the neurons doing the recruitment to the muscles that will allow for the, the proper amount of growth to take place. And so even though we say, oh, if you, re if you lift at 70 to 75% of your maximum strength doing three to five sets of five to eight reps with two minutes to three minutes of rest in between, you're going to encourage hypertrophication. You're going to encourage growth. That is one aspect of what's going on in terms of the overall adaptations that take place. Growth will eventually take place. But before we get to growth, we have, we're going to go through that whole sequence of events. I'm going to learn how to recruit the muscle better. And so we tend to get stronger before we get bigger. We will see strength changes prior to seeing growth changes. We will see endurance changes prior to seeing strength changes. We will see strength changes prior to seeing growth changes. Now, we can't get maximally strong until we've started to grow. The growth aspect gets combined with our nutrition aspect. And this is where we get some people that's like, oh, you shouldn't lift if you're trying to lose weight because lifting is going to cause growth in the muscles and growth in the bones. And if I'm growing muscles and growing bones, I'm not going to lose weight. That's where we have to get rid of that scale aspect and start looking at the fitness aspect. Muscle and bone is a much healthier tissue to have than adipose tissue. We do need adipose tissue 
We do need specific types of adipose tissue. Adipose tissue is very important in terms of regulating my overall metabolic rate. It's very important in terms of regulating my immune responses and my level of inflammation that takes place. I want to have some adipose tissue, but I don't have too much adipose tissue. And this is where people get into the exercise to lose weight and exercise to lose fat. You can exercise in order to quote unquote, burn more fat. But if we look at it in terms of our overall metabolism, we actually burn more fat by amount of energy being used, by percentage of energy being used, by sitting on the couch watching television. That's the simple scientific fact as it relates to energy metabolism. You go onto the ERG, the treadmill, the cycle, the rowing machine, the stair stepper, and you see the heart rate ranges and it talks about the quote unquote fat burning zone. In exercise, there is a range of heart responses that correspond to maximum amount of fat oxidation within the exercise session. But you're not just utilizing fat during exercise. In fact, you're using a whole lot of other stuff besides fat when you do exercise within those quote unquote fat burning zones. What you wanna make sure you're gonna do if you're gonna use the resistance exercise, which is highly recommended, see the references in the descriptions, to when you're using exercise to lose weight, you should always use exercise to lose weight and not strictly lose weight based off of diet changes. What the exercise is gonna do is it's gonna make sure that we are going to create an environment, a stress to the body that's gonna encourage a set adaptation to keep bone and to keep muscle around, to keep the quote unquote fat-free mass while encouraging fat mass loss, in particular, visceral fat mass. And visceral fat mass is the fat mass that we cannot see. That's the fat that is around the organs. And that is the fat that is detrimental to our health, even though everybody thinks about fattiness based off of what we see in terms of the body, in terms of the body image. And so we want to do is we want to try to adapt our training mechanism so as to maximize the training to reach the desired goals. And it's always about goal orientation when it, whenever we're trying to schedule or to program out or to plan out our exercise and our dietary changes to either change our health, change our fitness, or change our body composition. And it goes back into what is that functional analysis that we're trying to do. And if we're going to program correctly and we're going to goal orient correctly, what the periodization allows us to do is allows us to incorporate key aspects of training that does not get incorporated in the progressive models, and that is rest and recovery. When we periodize correctly, at the end of each periodized block, there will always be a recovery period or a rest period leading into an introduction period to the next block of training. Even if we don't necessarily reach the goals that we had set for ourselves by the end of the training, we have to make sure that if that training is done, at that point in time, we're able to go about encouraging optimal rest, optimal recovery for the individual before we start working on either a continuation of the goal or the next goal within the sequence of events. What the periodization program does relative to the non-periodized progressive overload is it's going to allow us to minimize the risk of injury and minimize any issues of overtraining that might come into play. Things that we have to watch out for when we're looking at our training aspects and looking at, am I overreaching, which is okay, not necessarily detrimental, but it's not where we want to be. Overreaching is where we're going to see plateaus. Or am I overtraining? Overtraining is where I'm going to actually see detriment to my overall fitness, my overall health. If I'm overreaching, I'm going to start seeing a loss of strength, a loss of endurance. I will have muscle soreness. 
that doesn't go away after a couple of days, that stays for three, four, five, six days afterwards. I'm gonna start seeing changes in my sleep patterns. I'm gonna start having increased amounts of fatigue throughout the day. I'm going to have changes in my mood. I'm gonna have changes in how I'm eating. I may experience some lethargy. I may experience a small little bit of feeling like I'm sick. If I'm overtraining, I'm actually sick. And this is where the progressive overload responses and the progression in a non-undulating periodized fashion or a non-periodized exercise where I have this goal and this goal is for me to drop a hundred pounds and I'm going to do everything possible to drop the hundred pounds. And I don't have the correct uh, timeline because I've decided that I'm going to model what I'm trying to do off of the snake oils that are out there trying to sell me these programs or off of the TV program from many years ago where they basically shamed people into trying to lose weight. Overtraining is a diseased state. We're going to see changes in, met in metabolic rates. We'll see changes in fever. We'll see changes in uh, my mood. We'll see changes in my confidence level. We'll see changes in how energetic do I feel. I may actually end up gaining weight during overtraining, even though I may have a goal of losing weight. I may end up having excessive amounts of weight loss due to a total loss of appetite. You can think of the overtraining symptoms as symptoms of being sick, almost kind of like having the flu or having the fever, where you go through the same, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm hot, I'm cold, where you get the, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I don't want to move, I'm excessively achy. And all of this comes about because of excessive amounts of breakdown that is taking place within the body without allowing for appropriate recovery. The rest of recovery that periodization allows for is it allows for us to make sure that we're going to establish appropriate re-nutrition of the body, appropriate inflammation periods and recovery of inflammation periods so as to not allow for excessive tissue breakdown. This goes into how disease establishes itself. And the way in which disease establishes itself is that a stress causes a stress response. And if we cannot get rid of that stress response, we start having inflammation. The inflammation plus the stress leads to additional hormone responses that are counter to the hormones that we want in order to grow the body. Those hormones ca start causing tissue breakdown. Stress plus inflammation plus tissue breakdown is what's going to cause diseases to set in. And so when exercise is not periodized correctly, we're going to have those issues come into play. But exercise is not the only thing that we need to think about when we start looking at periodizing in order to meet goals. We talked about this previously as relates to carbo, carbo loading and carbohydrate cutting and the fact that we can change our diet sporadically throughout the year to cause changes in metabolism and the changes in metabolism can lead to changes in fitness and overall physiological performance, homeostasis. And so diet is going to impact our ability to meet our goals. And this is where we have to always harp on. Calorie in, calorie out is a bad way to think about diet. It's a bad way to think about nutrition. It's a bad way to think about the foods that you eat. If we're constantly thinking about calorie in, calorie out, we can cause psychological harm to individuals because we are constantly thinking about means by which we can quote unquote punish the body for things that we eat even though the exercise that we tend to think about in a coercive effect as relates to weight changes and calorie balance is the bad way of looking at exercise and looking at energy in terms of energetic balance. 
What we have to do is instead of looking at calorie in, calorie out, and once again, this goes into one of the links in the descriptions, we have to look at it in terms of nutrient in, nutrient out. What nutrients am I taking in that my body's gonna be using for all of the metabolism that the body has to do to meet the new demands that I'm placing on the body? And this is where if I'm attempting to grow muscle and grow bone, I'm going to have to be slightly higher on my protein intake. I'm going to have to be slightly higher on my carbohydrate intake. I'm going to be slightly higher on my lipid intake, on my fat intake. That's simply because I'm going to be utilizing those nutrients more often. If I am recovering from injuries, I'm going to need to increase my creatine intake. I'm going to need to increase my antioxidant intake because I'm going to need more of those nutrients as I'm recovering from the events that I need recovery from. If we simply look at diet in terms of calorie in, calorie out, we're going to miss what am I eating that's going to give me those calories? And what does the body need from what I'm eating? Because remember, we have to eat enough in order to promote the correct hormone response in order to meet my demands. The ability to meet those demands means that I'm going to maintain the appropriate metabolic rate. If I am in excessive negative nutrient balance, I change all of these hormones ghrelin, glucagon, cortisol, leptin, insulin, PYY, oxytomodulin, growth hormone, adiponectin, adipocin, several interleukins, several inflammatory markers. All of these hormones cause changes in growth hormone and cause changes in thyroid hormones that change in terms of growth hormone. Am I able to grow tissues? And in terms of thyroid hormones, am I able to maintain my aerobic metabolism? Am I able to maintain my lipid metabolism? Am I able to maintain my aerobic muscle tissues, which is going to change my overall quote unquote basal metabolic rate. But additionally, if I have excessive negative nutrient balance, it's going to drive me to want to eat and constantly eat in order to get that negative nutrient balance away. However, if I'm in a positive nutrient balance, I flip a lot of those things. I am going to be able to promote growth. I'm going to be able to promote aerobic metabolism. I'm going to be able to promote utilization of appropriate nutrients to meet the demands. I'm going to block my desire to eat. If I overconsume sugar, in particular overconsuming fructose, it's also going to drive an increase of fat mass. What we look at here is in terms of lipogenesis. This is where I have to make sure that I am appropriately eating the correct nutrients to put me into a positive nutrient balance. If I'm able to meet nutrient balance, if I'm able to make sure the nutrient balance is correct, I'm going to be able to maintain the tissues that I have, grow tissues where tissues need to grow, absorb tissues where tissues need to absorb, so that I'm able to meet the demands that are being placed upon me. If I am in excessive restriction, I can actually reduce the overall metabolic rates below what the estimated levels happen to be for myself in terms of my energy demands to the point where I can actually put myself into a positive balance without being able to actually promote appropriate tissue growth. All of this, we know we're able to have distinct values come about from our nutrients. For proteins, this needs to be between 0.8 and 2.2 grams per kilogram of body mass. And that's all based off of my need to grow, recover, or repair. Carbohydrates, we need to have at least 120 grams per day. If I am healthy, 2.5 to 5 grams per kilogram body mass. If I'm active and I'm looking at growing, I need to be above that five. I want to make sure I'm eating lipids, eating fats. 
One of the worst diets that was introduced is the quote-unquote low-fat diet because what it does is it deprives the body of essential nutrients such as the omega-3s and the omega-6s based off of the concept that eating fat is a bad thing for the body. There are some quote-unquote bad fats, and we've gone to that in one of the other talks, but it's not going to drive you to be fat. Fats in the diet are necessary things. They are appropriate things to help me with recovery. If I want to make sure I'm recovering correctly, I want to make sure that I'm increasing my omega-3s. I want to make sure I'm increasing my omega-6s. Because it's not just proteins, carbohydrates, and lipids that are essential. We also need to, we also need to make sure that we're eating all of our vitamins. We need to make sure that we're increasing our minerals as we go through our exercise. So as to offset any type of loss of ions, loss of electrolytes, that might impact my ability to maintain hydration. If we look at the diet research, varying the diet within long-term programs leads to greater changes in fitness, in body composition, and in overall performance than if the diet remains set and stable, a non-varying diet. I know this sounds counterintuitive, particularly if we start discussing diets amongst our friends and amongst our families, as it becomes a very hot dogmatic discussion, but allowing diet to vary over the year leads to better changes in body composition, better changes in muscle performance, and better changes in fitness than someone who follows the same diet. This is different than people who think about meals as being quote unquote cheat meals. What cheat mealing and what cheat meals do is it creates a coercive environment towards nutrition and towards exercise. What the diet should be within a periodized approach is a diet that varies in terms of the sources of the macronutrients, the carbohydrates, the lipids, the proteins, the vitamins, the minerals, all of the trace elements, all of the ancillary things that we need in the diet. We vary the sources but we make sure that we're meeting our minimums of requirements. Part of this research stems from what we saw in terms of bulking and cutting that we see within weight class athletes and within bodybuilders. And part of this relates to some of the low carbohydrate and very low carbohydrate dieting and diet research that has shown the fact that if we become restrictive in certain things, we can induce body compositional changes. If we cause changes in diet, we can cause changes in muscle performance, where when we start to reintroduce some of those macronutrients that we had cut out, some of the adaptations that were beneficial remain. And we can see this within the benefits that we see as it relates to what type of changes do we see in our body composition when we have a periodized restriction of carbohydrates followed by a return to normal ranges of carbohydrates combined with changes in exercise selection and exercise intensity during the restriction of carbohydrates. So what's the take-home message? What do we want to remember when we look at why we need to incorporate periodization of, of exercise and periodization of diet what we're trying to do with the periodization of exercise and the periodization of dieting is encourage constant modification and constant changing of health behavior and body morphology to allow for continuous overall health. And any change that we make in diet or exercise has the potential to lead to improved health. 
but the changes tend to not last unless we establish a program encourages us to want to follow and encourages us to see a continuous change, a continuous reward. Unless we have constant positive feedback and positive encouragement, we tend to stop doing what we're doing. If you're not seeing changes or if you have stopped seeing changes, we need to make sure that we stop the program that we're doing and change it into a periodized program. The periodized program is going to allow for constant and consistent changes. It's going to minimize any issues of overtraining. If we break up the periods correctly based on specific goals in the macro, the meso, and the micro cycles of the period, we're able to stop the yo-yo. We're able to give you a consistent behavior pattern that you can follow, that you want to follow that you select to follow. Well, thanks for watching. Hopefully you got some information about how you can go about doing some periodizations of your diet or of your exercise. If you have specific comments or wish us to discuss in more detail specific, specific aspects of diet and exercise, please make sure to drop it in the comments or let us know. If you like what we're putting out, please make sure that you click that like if you haven't subscribed, please make sure you do subscribe. If you have friends or family or colleagues that you think would like the stuff, subscribe for them. Please stay tuned for more stuff coming out. We're trying to put stuff out at least twice a week for the time being. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.